Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning, everyone. Uh, We are continuing in our Advent series, God With Us. And uh, Emmanuel is such an appropriate song because the word, the Hebrew word Emmanuel, uh, simply means God with us. That, that the God of the universe who loves us chose to show up in the world. Uh, that he chose to send his only son so that we might have a picture of who God is. And, and we use the old saying that if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. He's the picture. Uh, he, he's the, the, I, the very essence of God in the world that he came to show us what God looked like, and, and then he called us to then continue to, to be that picture of God in the world. And so one of the things I love about Feed My Starving Children is that it gives us an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and it's something that we can all do, it's something that children can do, uh, that adults can do. It's so well organized and well run. Last Sunday, uh, Jenna and I went with some friends and from here at North and we packed food and their goal that weekend was at the Phoenix Civic Center was to pack two million meals uh, over the weekend from Friday to Sunday. And we actually exceeded that goal, and it was the last group of the weekend that took them over the top, just saying, okay? <laughs> um, but uh, to be able to participate in that and, and to be a picture of what it means that God uh, is with us. I have the passage there from Matthew. Uh, let's look at that together. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, and that's a prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'll never forget years ago, um, a friend of mine, an African-American friend of mine who worked with kids in the inner city, uh, told me that it's really hard for kids to hear about Jesus when their stomachs are growling. And I've never forgotten that. I've always remembered, you know, that, that sometimes we feed kids in order for them then to be able to hear the story of Jesus, in order for them to be able to understand and comprehend who Christ is and his love. To simply take the message is a big deal, it's important, but to not be the hands and feet of Jesus, sometimes we miss the opportunity for kids to really experience Christ. And, and that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what God has done for us and at the same time what he's called us to do. So this morning in that context, I, I, w- I wanted to share a little bit about Christmas light with you. And I, I was doing a little bit of homework because I'm silly that way. And uh, I found out that Christmas originated in the 1700s in Germany that uh, they would started, somebody uh, started putting small little candles on their Christmas tree. Um, y- you know, the fire department would come now, but they'd put small little candles on their Christmas tree, and, and then um, as that tradition really caught hold in Germany and Eastern Europe, uh, then people started to put candles in different parts of their home uh, and began to decorate their home with candles, with light, And then finally what happened is that people started to put a candle in the window by their front door, and it was a signal to people that uh, this home belongs to Christ. 
This home is a safe place. If you're out hungry, if you're lost, um, if you are a fellow believer and in town, uh, you are welcome here. And so they would put a candle in the window. So if you've ever heard about people saying, hey, we'll leave a candle in the window for you, that's where it started. It started uh, hundreds of years ago, but as a sign, as a light for people to know, this is a safe place. You're, you're welcome here. And, and since then, we've gotten, you know, uh, we've kind of grown in that. In 1880, Thomas Edison had the first outdoor display of electric lights outside his laboratory compound, and it, and it went on from there. And it, and it started out, you know, initially as a way to honor Christ, um, as a way to put a light in your window that said, you're welcome here, you know, a follower of Jesus, come, uh, we'll feed you, we'll care for you. And, and then it sort of grew from there as things tend to do, huh? And today, uh, today, uh, it's really different, isn't it? Today, there's a TV show on ABC that started December 4th, and it's called Christmas Light Wars. And so somehow we've gone from this time where we wanna show the light of Jesus and, and we wanna acknowledge that Christ is the light of the world uh, to now we do battle over who can have the most lights. I think I have a couple of pictures there. Um, you can, there's one. Um, I challenge you to find Jesus in there somewhere. Um, Here's another house, just an average home. Here's, here's another one. Um, yeah, okay, there's Santa, Santa. Okay, no manger. Um, another, we have another one here? Yeah, that's awesome, huh? <laughs> Multiple Santas. We do have some choir, a choir down in the very bottom. You know, so we have, these, we have these Christmas light wars, and please don't be offended if you do this at your house and you love Christmas lights, okay? But, but you gotta understand, I'm making my point here that what started out to honor Jesus and to, do, and to call people to him, we sort of take over and then it becomes about us. Funny how that happens, isn't it? That's something that originated to start with Jesus. We got so popular, and that's why we have that old saying that I use a lot, you know, that it, you, you serve Jesus, it looks good to serve Jesus, you're serving yourself, that there's this pathway that we have in, in, in our lives. Now, just to give context to it, I have another picture here. Um, okay, so this is my house, and um, lovely, uh, but here's this, here's this true story of my house. There's one more slide. Yeah, only half of them come on. <laughs> All right, now I freely admit, I'm not the handiest guy in the world, but this happens to me every year. We put up the lights, we go to all this trouble, I'm the one-armed man, and, and then they only half of them work. So we go out every night as it gets dark, and we, if you jiggle the connector, then all of them come on, except one night I was really tired, and I got home, and the lights were half on, and I got a rake, and I just smacked the deal, and all the lights came on. <laughs> so I told the lights, if you ever do this again, I'm gonna have an exorcism. <laughs> and it's, it's helped. You know, like, like we went out last night, all the lights were on, my wife was amazed. So there's several other household appliances, apparently she wants me to do that with now. <laughs> but today Christmas lights have a life of their own, and, and 
I would assume that most of you didn't know where that tradition started or why that it started and what the purpose was. All we know is that now we go to all this trouble, we go to these elaborate means to put Christmas lights up on our house. And, and the, 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 my point is whether you do lights or, or not and whether you're really good at them or you're me, um, that we don't wanna forget the purpose. We don't wanna forget what's behind it. Last Sunday, Troy took us to John 1 and um, there was Jesus in another statement that he didn't use last Sunday in John 1, 4, and 5. It says this, referring to Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here is the Apostle John, uh, years after the crucifixion and the resurrection, and he is, de- he is describing who Jesus was. And first he says he's the life, and then he says he is the light that shines in the darkness, and no matter what comes, no matter what kind of persecution there is, no matter what kind of struggles there are, the light cannot overcome, or the darkness cannot overcome the light, that the light continues to shine, that the light of Jesus is a beacon uh, in, a, in a dark world. And Jesus made some audacious statements about light himself in the New Testament. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, uh, and again he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That Jesus now says, I am the light of the world. It's one of the seven great I am statements in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the light of the world, and if you walk in me, you won't walk in darkness, but you you will walk in light. And so we have this picture of Jesus as the light. And Jesus, the reflection of Jesus in the world draws people to him, draws people to the light. And they no longer walk in darkness, but they can see, they can see life. They can see the world. If, if I were to turn off all the lights uh, in this room this morning, if we were actually able to do that, um, y- you know, our perspective would change. And when our perspective changes, sometimes we feel isolated, sometimes we feel alone, sometimes we we feel afraid, we get a little disoriented, but when we turn the lights back on and we can see uh, each other and we can see our surroundings, we take confidence in that, we have direction in that. Jesus says, if you wanna get to the Father, you go through me, you follow the light. Now here's the problem with the light is that most of us would like the light to come on and just show us everything. In my life, what I've experienced is often the light that I get is a enough to take the next step and enough to take the next step and enough to take the next step. But Jesus is the light. Uh, Jesus is the light of my life. In John 9, there's a great story about Jesus encountering a man. Jesus and his disciples are going through a town. They don't actually name the city, but Jesus and his disciples are going through a town and there's a man there, there's a beggar uh, who's blind and he's by the side of the road and, and Jesus' disciples ask sort of the typical question that, you know, they, they want to know the why. Why is he blind? Was it, was it something that he did? Did he sin and this is God's punishment? Did his parents sin and this is God's punishment on the parents that, uh, from, from what the parents did onto the son that he's getting the consequences of their sin and, and they want to know why this had to happen and don't we, have you ever asked that question of God? or anybody else, why? Why did this have to happen? And here's what Jesus says, that it's not because of their sin, but it's so that the world can see my glory, that this person is gonna be a picture of my light, he's gonna be a picture of my glory, and so they're walking along, and and Jesus calls the blind man over, and here's what Jesus says to him. 
He says to his disciples in verses four and five, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work, but as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. And at this point, Jesus does something really interesting. He bends, he, uh, well, he spits on the ground, and uh, apparently there's a lot of dirt around there. Uh, not a lot of concrete at that point in history. Jesus spits on the ground, and he reaches down, and he stirs up the, his spit with the, uh, I know it's gross, but just Jesus, okay? And he stirs up his, the spit and the dirt, and makes some mud, and he picks it up, and he puts it on the eyes of the man, and then he tells the man to go to this pool and to wash off his eyes, and the man did what Jesus asked him to do, what Jesus told him to do, and this story says that he could see again, and it starts this whole deal with with the people around him who were astonished, and the religious leaders who thought it was some kind of trick or something, you know, and tried to confuse the situation, and and yet what Jesus did was powerful because he had just said, I'm the light of the world, and while I am him, here we do the works of the one who sent me, and he made that mud. Now, for centuries, people have asked, why did he do that? Why did he spit on the ground and, and make the mud and then put it in the man's eyes and tell him, you know, to go and wash when he could have simply said, you know, you can see. He could have done it so much easier, but I I love this idea that here's a man that's been a beggar for his whole life, that he's been blind. He was obviously known. He'd obviously been been there for a long time, and Jesus gives him something to do. Jesus says, "I I want you to participate in that. You're not a beggar anymore. You're not helpless anymore, but I'm gonna give you a role to play in this miracle, and when the man went, obeyed Jesus in spite of the darkness, in spite of his blindness, in spite of his handicap, When he obeyed Jesus and washed that off in this pool, he could see again that he was able to participate in the miracle that Jesus had done. And Jesus often invites us to participate in his miracle. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. But Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I want you to think about verses four and five here again. It says this, that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I just want you to pay attention to two words up here. The first one is we. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say, I must work the works of the one who sent me. He says, we must work the works of the one. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it odd that, that Jesus is walking uh, you know, along with his disciples and everything? He's the Messiah, he's the Christ, and, and yet when he explains what's gonna happen, when he explains who he, he doesn't say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one, but he says, we must do this. We must work the works of him who sent me. And so the, the two words that I want you to think about just for a second are the we and the must. First he's saying all of us do the works of the one who sent Jesus. We're all included in that. And then he uses this, that one word that, you know, when you're two, you really hate, right? Must. Uh, when you're older than that, you really hate sometimes. Must. Jesus is saying this is a matter of obedience, that we must work the works of him who sent Jesus that this isn't works that I've come up with, this isn't my great idea, but this is the work that God has called us to do, and he's saying that we, collectively, Jesus has just said, I'm the light of the world, and now here's what we need to do. Uh, And and, and he helps us with this 
a little bit later because he, in Matthew 5, uh, verses 14 through 16, you know, during the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says this, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Wow. So who is the we? It's us. And what does Jesus say? He says, you know what? I came to be light in the world, and then I left you as my light to the world, that you are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill can't be hidden, and who in their right mind would light a lamp in their home and then put a cover over it, put a basket over it so no one can see the light? That's not what light was created for. Light was created to give light, to dispel darkness, to allow us to see. Jesus is saying you don't light a lamp and then hide it, but you allow it to to light your home. You allow it to shine its light uh, everywhere, to make things visible for other people, to point people to Jesus, and he says, you now are the light of the world, and so if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't get to pick and choose what you do. Jesus says, you know what, if you're a follower of me, you're light. You're the light of the world, and you may be light for somebody that you have no idea that you're doing it. You have no idea that they're watching. You have no idea that they're in darkness, but you are the light of Christ. He says, we must do the works we must be the light of Christ. If Jesus, of the resurrected Jesus, lives in your life today, then you're light. You are the light of Christ for a world that's in darkness. I shared with some of you years ago that um, I had an opportunity to take a group of, of Young Life people to the country of Mongolia. And Mongolia is wedged right between Russia and China. So they're famous for being overrun by everybody so sometimes they're, uh, they're over, sometimes they were overrun by the Chinese and sometimes they were overrun by the Russians and the last group were the, the Russians and uh, it, was communi- you know, it was communism in Mongolia and when the Iron Curtain fell, uh, the Russians just moved out of Mongolia and they left the country in disarray. Uh, they just left it in, in shambles. There were just you know, bad, bad construction, bad buildings, the government was in shambles, and they had been uh, all of those years in, in an, an atheist country. So when the Iron Curtain came down, um, a few were invited, a few people were invited to come in and help them, and we were invited to come in and help them with their teenagers. They were scared to death uh, of what was gonna happen to the next generation. And so we started Young Life. We came and we did a camp for kids. We did a Young Life camp for kids. Yeah, it was one of the all-time great experiences because, you know, we had to use a translator for everything. They so desperately, though, wanted their kids to learn English that we took these college kids to, to help. So we taught English an hour a day as part of this camp, and then we did all the things that kids would do um, at a Young Life camp. And uh, so one of my favorite things was calling a square dance. Yes, I can call a square dance. And, and we called a square dance, but have you ever tried to call a square dance in rhythm with a translator? That is, we, we were crying, we were laughing so hard because none of it made sense, but they were having the best time, you know. Um, we, every night we would talk about Jesus and, and we'd give these kids an opportunity to hear about Christ and, and uh, it was rustic, and, uh, but it was, the, it was the coolest week these kids had ever had. 
and they heard about Jesus. At the end of the week, we gave kids an opportunity to respond, and, and I'll never forget because we gave them an opportunity to stand, and 117 of the 120 kids stood to say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And a year later, a friend of mine was in Mongolia, and he was able to visit some high schools, and he's in a classroom, and uh, he, he's talking to these kids and said, how many of you guys went to that camp last summer? And these kids raised their hand, and, and uh, he said, well, tell me what it was like. And one boy in the room raised his hand and said, a light came on in my heart, and it hasn't gone out. A light came on in my heart, and it hasn't gone out. If you ever want to understand the truth of Scripture, talk to somebody who has come out of darkness into light and experienced what it means, what it looks like to come from darkness to light, to experience the light of Christ uh, in their life. It's just, just remarkable. And, and that's what Jesus has asked us to be. That's what he's told us we are. You, you see, being light isn't a switch that, that I turn on and say, okay, today I'm gonna be light. I've tried that. It doesn't work very well. Being, uh, being a light is recognizing that Jesus lives in me that the resurrected Christ has taken residence in my home. And if I allow him uh, freedom in my life, if I allow him to be the Lord of my life, if I live my life in obedience to him, I can't help myself. I'm going to be light, that that's who God created me to be. That's who God's called me to be. And it's not something that I try hard to do. I've never seen a light bulb scratching up and trying to be better light. It's just what it is. And Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world and what I want is to, for you to reflect me in a world that's dark. And that's the one thing I know I don't have to convince any of you about this morning is the darkness of the world. But he has called you to be who he created you to be, uh, who he's transformed you to be. He's called you to be the light of the world. I have another picture of that that I would like to share with you this morning. It's, it's another story and, and it gives us another perspective. Uh, it's a story that was told by a pastor in Brazil and I would just like to read the story to you this morning. Uh, it's, it begins this way. The small house was simple but adequate. This happens in Brazil in the, uh, out in the country. It consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red tiled roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of the Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter Christina had done what they could do to add color to the gray walls and warmth to the hard dirt floor. An old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. The furniture was modest, a pallet on either side of the room, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove. Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. The young mother, stubbornly refusing opportunities to remarry, got a job and set out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary uh, as a maid afforded few luxuries, it was reliable and it did provide food and clothes. And now Christina was old enough to get a job and help out. Some said Christina got her independence from her mother. She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin and brown eyes kept a steady stream of prospects at her door. She had an infectious way of throwing back her head and filling the room with laughter. She also had that rare magic that some women have that makes every man feel like a king just being near them. But it was her spirited curiosity that made her keep all men at arm's length. 
She spoke often of going to the city. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues and city life. Just the thought of this horrified her mother. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People don't know you there. Jobs are scarce and the life is cruel. And besides, if you were there, what would you do for a living? Maria they knew exactly what Christina would do or would have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she woke up one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately that what she must do to find her. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all of her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all that she could on pictures of herself. With the, small per, uh, with, with the purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus for Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with the reputation for street walkers or prostitutes. She went to the mall. At each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. Later on, that young Christina descended the hotel, descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet, yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back of this compelling invitation was this message. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. The light, the light in our lives, the light that shines through us, portrays a picture of who Jesus is. It, it takes people who are living in darkness and allows them to see the light. It allows them to see Christ. It opens up the world around them that they no, no longer need to be afraid. They no longer need to feel isolated. They no longer feel, need to feel insecure, but they can find the security of knowing the Christ, of seeing Jesus for who he is, but the only way that they'll see Jesus is by your light. The only avenue that they will have to see Jesus is by the light of your life. I'm, I apologize that that's our only option, but it's, the, but it's God's plan A for the world, that we would be a picture of Jesus, that we would be his light in a dark world, and that people would be drawn to him through our lives. We are not the light of the world to draw attention to ourselves. We are not the light of the world so that we can fight over who's the brightest light. But we are the light of the world so that people can see Jesus.
We're the light of the world because we've experienced going from darkness to light. So there's just there's a few little things that I'd like you to remember this morning. A few little things I'd like you to know about yourself. The first one is this. I have been brought from darkness into light. That's your story. That we all started out in darkness and, and through Christ and through the light of other people in our lives, we've experienced Jesus, that we have all been brought from darkness into light. The second is that I am placing a picture right here where I am. Uh, the question is, can people see um, through the darkness? Can people see that picture of Jesus? Because you may be the only picture of Jesus that someone in your life ever sees. Uh, are you providing that picture of Jesus? I am placing a picture of Jesus right where I am. And here's the third thing. Is there enough light from my life for others to see him? Is there enough light from my life for others to see Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Jesus, this morning that you are the light of the world. And yet, Lord, in your great wisdom, you have called us to be light. You've called us collectively as a body of Christ, as a church family, to be the light of the world. And, and that's your light that lives in us, that reflects out of our lives and allows people to see you. And Lord, this morning we want to be your light. We thank you, we're out of gratitude for, for being the light in our lives, Lord, for, for showing us, for bringing us from darkness into light. Now, Lord, give us the strength and the courage to allow your light to shine through our lives. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.